0: Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset. Inside and out. With your host, Steve Katazi. So guys, I got this email. There's there's a guy who lives in a Burmese jungle who claims to be able to correct bad eyesight, known as myopia. He's called the eye guru. He's returned his eyesight from minus five, which I previously had, to 2020. Oh, and this guy's got beef with the the glasses and lens industry, you know, suggesting, conspiracy of all sorts, that this industry, a $100 billion plus industry, is making our eyes worse. So, okay, I thought, right, here's another whack job trying to get on the show. I get many of those, delete but something pulled me in. I checked out his links. Turns out this guy's a real deal. He's got millions of views on YouTube, tons of positive reviews on Trustpilot. I mean like pages and pages of it. A fantastic resource packed full of leading information on the web. And wow, as someone who had bad eyesight, I was hooked. I needed to speak to this intriguing and I must admit, entertaining and potentially game-changing guy. So here we are, Jack Steiner, aka the I, Guru is on the mics. Welcome, my man. It's great to have you on the show.
1: Steve, I was actually having to go off mic just to laugh silently. That was the funniest introduction I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally was going to delay. Thought, oh, here we go again. What's, what's, what's this about? But I was intrigued. I was intrigued, Jake, for a couple of reasons. Let me tell you why. Firstly, selfishly, as I said, I've had terrible eyesight from about nine years old. I actually got laser eye surgery back in my late teens. It was a revelation returning my eyes back to what was fantastic vision. But secondly, and I know this is something you talk about, the kind of lens wearing and eyeglass wearing thing is so normal these days. And I can't help but to think that there must be something that we're doing to ourselves. So I mean, I can't wait to get into it and understand what your thoughts are on that. It's a very intriguing space. But um, first of all, living in a Burmese jungle, living off the grid, tell me more. That's
1: I've, that's really a very much a sidebar. It's my longtime girlfriend and we have a kid and she wanted to move back home. So I'm giving it a shot because I'm a flexible person. But I don't recommend anybody else try it because as glamorous as it's being made out to sound, I see in Western ideas sometimes, the whole off-grid thing, it's really a giant pain.
0: But what's the upside? Talk to me about the upside of not being connected and being out in the wild. The
1: upside, well, I guess there is an upside. It's We use electronic devices and generally being connected to the internet and, and all the things we take for granted, we don't do as much. Um... The first year or so, we were relying mainly on solar power, so I I know exactly how many watts my laptop consumes when I watch a YouTube video. And I have to use my phone internet, which is billed by the megabyte. So it's a completely different concept of consumption than we have in, in in a city where we just mindlessly plug the thing in and fire it up and we have unlimited Wi-Fi. And I really think it contributes a lot to our just general blase addiction to all that stuff around us.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is, it is romanticized, isn't it? Me and my wife have often spoken about as much as we love the trappings of modern life, the opportunity, the the opportunity to learn, you know, the environment for our kids to grow up and flourish we can't help but to think, wouldn't it be great if we just took the complexity and the distraction and the noise out of life and just returned to kind of our natural habitat. So there must be something just kind of naturalistic and internal that just kind of makes sense. But at the same time, as you say, a bit of a pain in the ass when you have to live in a real world.
1: It is. And, and I'm not going to use this one to sell some kind of an image. I'm, I'm just being realistic. Like I did it because she wanted to. Um, we bought some land in a place that literally didn't have any kind of facilities other than a nearby road. So we had to drill the well and we had to figure out power and we had to do everything ourselves. And it was a fascinating journey. But And I think for lots of people, this is something that maybe they would enjoy and maybe they even need in their life and to give them perspective. But I definitely very much love to come back to a city and just be able to plug stuff in and not count the watts.
0: <laughs> you don't know how good things are until so you don't have them anymore, huh?
1: No, and it's funny because my, my girl and I sometimes we literally just drive an hour to the next town to stay in a hotel, and we're both so excited just just the wall plugs—you just plug stuff in, and it's <laughs> unlimited power. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's,
0: well, Jake, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but it's oh, not something I, I think that's definitely a bit over romanticized. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you burst my bubble a little bit there. So, so, Jake, I can't wait to get into your backstory and give people better context as to who you are. But before we do so, let's just set the scene in terms of what we hope to talk. What's the meat of the discussion? So before we get into your story, perhaps you can just let everyone know what myopia is uh, at a high level. We'll get into a little bit more detail later what pseudo-progressive is, again, high level, and what your claim is regarding this condition?
1: Sure, that's a great starting place. So myopia is generally more simply referred to as nearsightedness, which is when you can't see objects clearly at a distance. So basically, you need glasses to see anything that's further away than short distance. Um, and it's generally, by the mainstream uh by the retail mainstream considered to be either an unknown cause or often called something genetic.
0: Okay. Okay. And are there any probable causes that people speculate in mainstream today?
1: Um, Yes. And actually not even speculate. Uh, One of the things that I always suggest people do, and at some point we'll have to get back to your awesome intro about the iGuru, um, is to go to Google Scholar. That's scholar.google.com. It is a separate search engine from Google that only looks at clinical published research. So whenever I hear something online or in general that sounds far-fetched but I'm curious about, the first thing I do is go to Google Scholar to see what the science says. You know, are there studies on this? Is there debate on this? Is this real? Is this just some internet unicorn farming? Scholar.google.com, number one thing when you hear a new thing that sounds possibly too good to be true. And as far as myopia is concerned, the first thing to type into Google Scholar is pseudo myopia, and what you'll find pseudo meaning not actually myopia, just seems to be like myopia. Uh, another term is lens in, uh, not lens induced uh, near induced transient myopia. Both of these terms will give you 10,000 plus results showing that it's really well established in clinical science that in almost all cases myopia starts out as a strain symptom of the focusing muscle in your eye. That's the starting point.
0: Okay. And just to clarify, this is different um, fundamentally to um, long-sightedness or the, the, the ability to see far away but struggling to read, therefore needing reading glasses. That's right. And, and that's far more
1: unusual. Um, that's called hyperopia when you can't read something up close. There is also something called presbyopia, which has, is the same symptom, but that's age-related. So as we get older, the lens in the eye gets harder; the the focusing muscle can't move the lens as well. So we stop. We, we lose some of our ability to see up close. Different thing.
0: Okay. All right. Maybe we we might get into that a little bit more later. What is your claim regarding this condition, Jake?
1: Well, there. I, I want to maybe separate that, and I really like this question because. The first part of my claim is easily verified by science. Go to Google Scholar. Myopia starts out as a strain symptom for almost everybody. And the reason that we get the strain is because we spend too much time looking at close-up objects, books, and nowadays mostly screens. So extended screen use causes pseudomyopia. That's my claim, but it's not originally my claim. That's a claim that's been made in clinical science over the last four or five decades that most myopia is a strain symptom starting out. And then the second step to that, that verifiable part of my claim anyway, is that myopia becomes something else once you start wearing corrective lenses. You're wearing the corrective lenses to to fix a focusing muscle spasm, which you don't actually do. You just kind of ignore the symptom with the lenses. And then those lenses cause more of the myopia. Uh, If you go to Google Scholar, that is called lens induced myopia. And you'll find 40 or 50,000 references to clinical research clearly showing that glasses cause more myopia. Those are like my most fundamental claims or maybe not even claims, just pointers at what science understands today about vision biology.
0: And we are going to get into this, but you also have a strong opinion and also evidence your own kind of large scale anecdote personally and for your customers that you are able to correct or start reversing this condition.
1: I really like, can I just interrupt this whole flow and just say, I really like how you present your questions and ideas. It's very, very well positioned. I really like it. <laughs> Thank you. Um because because you're really I mean you're you're really getting to the to the key points of the issue where okay, so I'm saying that I'm pointing to clinical science that says myopia starts as a strain symptom and then is quote unquote mistreated by lens use or whatever, it's treated by lens use, which causes more of the symptom. And these two things that are that are established by clinical science mainly in journals targeted where the readership is optometrists and ophthalmologists. So these are industry journals that are saying, hey, look, it's a strain symptom first, and then it becomes a bigger issue once you give people glasses, which is a huge irony. And it's again, it's very easily verified just with a quick search that when you go into a retail optic shop where they sell lenses and you ask them what causes myopia. I can pretty much guarantee you're not going to get this answer. And that's where I think we really run into a problem where the people that are selling you the treatment are denying you the information about the factual basis of what's causing it.
0: Mm, mm. I I can recall as as a kid, and you know, I've, I've had, uh, you know, a worsening, eyesight from probably about nine and i didn't realize how bad it was until i started getting headaches my mum took me to the um optometrist you know lo and behold my eyesight was worsening just around about the time when i got my commodore 64 and my atari and then i started you know slamming that the computer it- games <laughs> and they, it got terribly worse to the point that you know i could walk down the street and i couldn't see someone waving at me across the road i could see them they were a blurry blob uh, but I couldn't tell who they were, whether they're a guy, or a girl, and whether they're a friend or not. Um, I got to about minus five by, you know, 15, 16. It was, it was pretty bad at that time when you're very vulnerable and, you know, looks are important and you're trying to fit in. And it just, it, that story is so common. That story is so common across the globe that people's eyesight deteriorate from a young age. Why? Why is this so prevalent? why are millions and millions of people just to come into the need to glasses is it genetic are we as a species i'll be just fucked <laughs> with our with our eyesight and why so
1: yeah and that's why again i think the the really important thing is to to understand and the reason i'm doing this and the reason i've been doing this for years and i, I feel like i'm repeating the same story endlessly and i don't mind doing it because I've had the same story you've had, even though I was maybe 12 or 13. I also ended up very close to minus five. And I, it very much affected my childhood and my youth and the, my understanding of myself and my social interactions. It really, it had major effects on my life. And the whole time I was told that this was a genetic thing, whereas... Again, and this Google Scholar thing is so important because it takes this whole thing out of the realm of a debate and into, it's it's established, and it was established when you and I were nine years old. This was already known. Pseudomyopia is where it starts. It's a strain symptom. You got your Commodore 64. I got a 128, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to flex that one a little nice. bit. But the same thing, right? Like you start looking at the screens, it's pseudomyopia. The lens, there's a lens in your eye that focuses, that changes shape based on the distance you're looking at. And there's a circular muscle around that lens that shapes the lens. And the closer you look at something, the tighter that muscle gets. And what what very simply happens is the muscle is not designed to be tight for four hours at a time or eight hours at a time or 10 hours at a time, day after day after day. And eventually what happens is as with any muscle that you overstrain, it has a spasm. It just, it doesn't fully relax. And what happens when it doesn't fully relax, it doesn't let go of the lens completely, or it doesn't let the lens reshape completely. So you you don't have the distance focus. But there is no, there is no condition, there is no illness, there is no medical issue, there's nothing wrong other than you overstrain that focusing muscle. That's it, that's the only thing.
0: Mm you just you hear quite often that it's genetic and then you look at your mum, and your mum has got great eyesight and then the next thing you'll hear is oh but it skips a generation typically i'm like oh come on <laughs> so it's genetic but it's only every other person and I'm like, it, it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense i'm glo- so glad we're having this conversation before we get into yeah, and, oh no no go, go for it can, go on can, can i just make a comment on the
1: genetics thing i find it i find it appalling that for you you and I, fine, like somebody can say it's genetic, we'll go, well, we don't know anything about genetics. But even somebody who went to just the first year of medical school and has some basic, basic understanding of genetics, they would know that it's completely impossible for how genetics work, that all of humanity specifically lost some kind of genetic ability to see at a distance in the last few decades. Mm. It's It is beyond the realm of conversation. For anyone who calls themselves a medical professional to make that claim, that's like ignorance at a level that is just completely painful because it's just, it's not possible that all of humanity's genes suddenly modified themselves in a space of decades. It's just not, you know? And when you take one extra look, especially at the journals that these guys get in the mail every month, this research has been out there forever and they know. I get internal sales documents from from lens manufacturers that are sent to me that I'm not supposed to have, but they discuss these studies, but they only discuss them when they're also discussing products to sell to, to reduce myopia progression. Then they know, like they know, this is known stuff. It's just at the retail level, at the level of people selling you lenses, those people don't necessarily know. Like your optometrist is not a bad guy, but he should know this stuff. But his actual job is to sell lenses not to help you improve your eyesight.
0: I, I find myself, um, Jake, the more more I speak with people all across the world around varied subjects is that I can't help but to become this conspiracy guy. <laughs> whether we're talking about nutrition, when we're talking about exercise, we're talking about other dogma, traditional wisdom, generational wisdom across the board. Seems that there's much dogma and zealotry around subjects which simply aren't true, or at least they have been misguided over the decades to a point that we believe something that that is fundamentally ineffective uh, for our species, for our health. So again, this is another one of those and people are probably rolling their eyes thinking, God, Steve found another person who's going to point at industry being to blame. But I hear you. I hear you. And I, I do want to dig into that. But before we do, Jake, let's rewind I, I said we would and we should so you did speak about your your kind of a worsening eyesight around about 12 years old maybe you can embellish on that picture give us a sense of um, what that felt like your upbringing and and how how you found the need to specialize or obsess around eyesight at some point in your life
1: Sure, we can definitely do that. Can I just comment on the conspiracy theory thing? Um, <laughs>
0: on. I thought that, that dangling that, carol what, was too difficult to avoid. Oh my God. That's, <laughs> yeah, because I am
1: not, it, may, it pains me so much that I'm in this space because it sounds like a conspiracy theory. And exactly what happens with that, you with this podcast is I keep finding out things too where I'm like, this can't be true. Like I talk, you know, you're familiar with Ivor Cummins.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he talks about, coronary artery calcification um, the the primary indicator for heart disease and there's a scan you can get to scan your heart that shows how, to what degree or if your your heart has the arteries are calcified and i i talked with this guy and i'm like how come i never heard of this before like i get annual checkups my parents are both doctors it's a major thing, and I Googled it, and of course, as with all these quote-unquote conspiracy theories, that scan is a major thing, the, the equipment costs millions of dollars, it is a very good predictor for heart disease, and yet no doctor ever has told me about it. It is shocking. And Ivor talks about this like a conspiracy. Like, he's like, they are purposely hiding this from you and they don't want you to get the scan. And I'm like, come on. And, and just like what you were saying before, it's like the more I'm in this space, I'm all like, what is still true? You know what I mean? At what point do you sound like a crazy person? Already. Um, already. <laughs> You've already Already, that. yes. Yeah, I know. Very, un- It's very unfortunate. And I'm trying to maintain a, a direction. You know, that's why I like Google Scholar, because you, you just kind of want to maintain some kind of sanity. But um, as far as my youth, I used to, in, in that age range, I read a lot. And I think to some extent it was because my vision was worsening. And sports were really important in school back then. And I would get picked last for teams. Uh, I, would, I was actually on a, uh, on a swim team, not in school, but separately that I would just go after school. Uh, I, I won the German nationals in my teens. Literally won at my specific, I don't know in English. But I was quite good at, at some athletic performances. But I was terrible at the kinds of sports in school because they're all like, group things involving a ball, like basketball and soccer and all those things. And my eyesight was getting worse. So I was getting afraid of the ball, right? So then I wouldn't get picked for teams. And of course, that is terrible for your social status in that kind of age group. So I just ended up being kind of a bookworm. And in hindsight, I think, I don't want to blame glasses for everything we don't really know, but I hear these repeating stories a lot. And having done this for almost two decades now and getting hundreds of emails a day, it just adds up to where it's just a recurring theme that really seems to affect childhood when you literally can't see well and your peers who are all little monsters are seeing that weakness. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I do. And curiously, by the way, since I reversed my eyesight back to 2020, uh, Probably in the next week or two, we're going back kite surfing in Vietnam, which we do three four months out of the year. It's one of those things that I genuinely believed that I have poor motor coordination and that I'm just a clumsy person. And it turned out that's not true. I just didn't have peripheral vision because of the glasses. And when you lose your peripheral vision, your brain gets confused and it limits your motor functions to some degree because you just don't have the whole visual field. And I was always clumsy, but as my vision returned to normal, I realized that. My body works just fine. So all these things put together kind of leave me with this residual anger that I fell into this trap. Selling glasses is $100 a hundred billion dollar year industry. Hundred billion dollars. Right. And they they have they have legislated it to where you can't buy clear curved pieces of plastic of your own choosing. They're called a prescription, right? And their markups are huge. Like the the wholesale cost of the of a pair of high quality lenses with all the coatings is about $1.50. But I'm pausing here because if you've ever bought glasses, you're you're aware that they charge you hundreds of dollars for these things. So it's just a
0: oh sorry I I, I didn't respond because I thought you were talking about um, lenses like lenses you point in your eyes as opposed to the lenses and then the glasses. The actual yeah lenses and the glasses oh, yeah wow yeah that is cheap <laughs> crazy.
1: Yeah, so it's an it's an incredibly huge profit grab that people don't question, in part because they call prescriptions and it's put into this whole medical context, and you're told that you're genetically deficient, and yet you walk into a store, usually in a in a mall that sells fashion brand products, and has five thousand percent markups, you know, and when when you look at clinical science to talk about causes, and these retail people tell you it's your own fault or it's genetic. And it's just, I feel like it's a thing that people should at least be aware of. You can choose glasses if you want, but you should at least be aware that a lot of things that you're being told may be worth investigating.
0: Okay. Okay. So you, you had bad eyesight um, in your teens, at which point did you start to say, hang on a minute, you know, what's going on here? And you started educating yourself on what potentially could be the cause of your myopia.
1: That I didn't really have that idea. Actually, in a weird way, I kind of liked glasses back then um, because it it was kind of a thing to go to the optometrist with the parents and pick out new frames and then wait for them to be made. And then the first time you put them on, everything is like super crazy Mm -hmm. clear again. So in a way, I, I just didn't contemplate it that much. And it's not till my late 20s till I ended up at your spot at the minus five. And my glasses were just thick. And you know, your eyes look smaller, the, the stronger your glasses get. And I was as a single guy, I was the last thing I needed is that handicap. And when they told me that, that my new quote unquote prescription would be minus five, that was kind of my, my breaking point. And I decided that I wasn't going to have more of it.
0: Okay, back to so so that's all well and good that yeah, you had a reaction. But how did you feel resourceful enough to investigate let alone do something about it
1: it was a weird moment to be perfectly honest i've been asked this question so many times that i keep revisiting this and i can only describe it as i just i didn't want more of it it was just a moment where i looked at my glasses they were so thick and i would look at myself in the mirror and my tiny eyes behind those glasses and i just i was like i'm not it got to a point where it became a priority. Like most people, like if we have health issues or we're not well, or we have problems in our lives, we tend to not do anything about it till we reach some kind of point where it becomes enough of a priority. And for whatever reason, that was just the moment was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. Unfortunately, that was before internet really came into its own. So it was, I had to go to libraries and literally read vision biology books. And as a tiny bit of background, I come from a finance background. So I'm your introduction. Initially I was quietly laughing because the iGuru thing is a a kind of an inside joke because of all the nonsense that goes on online. My, my background is very much numbers and facts and doing tons of research. So the way I was making money and now I'm still, I trade stock and other things and I invest in businesses. So I'm very much focused on what is the factual content of this whole thing? So I, with that background, I just went to go, okay, so I need to find answers. What is known about the eye? What's causing myopia? And fortunately or unfortunately, I found those answers even in biology books very quickly.
0: Okay. And when you say answers uh, that would have described, what was happening and light, you know, entering to the back of the, the, the eyeball we're at the wrong place, causing some blurry vision. But did you start getting answers quickly in terms of um, the root cause and corrective action, or was that something you had to find yourself?
1: Two pieces there i I finally quickly found root causes. and that's really what what motivated me a fair bit because what we discussed, the pseudomyopia and the lens induced myopia, you can find that answer a lot faster today than I could because like Google search will tell you there's fifty thousand or 10,000, depending on which keyword you search references that, that Google found cited, right? So you immediately know there's something to this. It took me a lot longer cause I had to actually read stuff, but it only took me a few weeks to find out this is what causes myopia. Like even back then in a book, you could find pseudomyopia. So there were no answers <laughs> that was the frustrating part. But what I found is that people wittingly or unwittingly had lied to me about why I needed glasses. And I pretty quickly found out that had I known this from the start, I would have just spent a weekend outside and not turned on that Commodore One Twenty Eight, and that that ciliary muscle spasm would have lessened and my distance vision would have improved. So that was kind of the point where I'm like, okay, so I can't trust these people, and that just helped me pursue more research and finding answers to actually reduce myopia took a very long time.
0: Okay, okay, so that was mid twenties, Jake. So, um how uh, you you make a claim that your eyes now your eyes have returned to 2020. I know this sounds like fallacious to a lot of people. And, you know, people probably, you know, scratching their beard, uh, <laughs> wondering how true that is. But there's no reason for you to lie. Tell me how long that journey took to get you there. And maybe you can explain some of the, you know, the the kind of meanders you took, and you know, finally, a kind of formula that at least you relied upon to to start correcting this issue. Yeah, and by the
1: way, that's a great reaction, and and I I agree that hopefully your audience is skeptical. There's a lot. Again, there's just so many of these claims online that skepticism is is very valid. Um, where I started out, it took me. I want to say about 10 years, give or take, because especially the very end, like that last diopter, diopter and a half took me extra long. Um, And initially the starting point was rough because I just didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I met a a couple of optometrists in Russia, which was an incredibly helpful country because it was very poor, especially at the time. And there was not, you just couldn't, you go to an optometrist and he wouldn't have lenses to sell you. So you would get completely different answers than in a country where it's a shop trying to make money. And that's the first place that I encountered several optometrists who said, only wear the glasses when you need them. If you wear them all the time, your vision will get worse. And what I found out there, fascinatingly, Russian draft dodgers actually wore minus glasses to create myopia in their own eyes so they wouldn't have to join the military. Hmm. I learned this from Russian optometrists can be easily verified online today. So this was this was kind of a known thing. And that's why I was like, okay, so these things make my eyes worse. Same thing in some other countries, like Italy seemed to be really open-minded. At the time, was I was full-time traveling. So just everywhere I went, I was asking questions. And the idea, so so the other thing I found, and this, this was kind of the big revelation, is the eye has a built-in mechanism that controls the length of the eyeball. And again, this is very easily verified with a Google Scholar search, axial length of the eyeball. And the way it works is the front of the eye has the lens. The lens reshapes for close-up and distance vision to, to focus the light in the back of the eyeball where the retina is that receives that visual signal and then sends it on to the brain. To, to maintain the correct visual acuity, the length of the eyeball continually checks itself right? Because if the eyeball is too long, you can't see clearly far. And if the eyeball is too short, then you can't see clearly close. And because biology, right? Like the human meat machine is always adjusting. And that that mechanism in your eye, it it turns on, you're born, right? You, you're actually born hyperopics. So as a baby, you can't see clearly up close. And the eyeball elongates till the signal says, okay, this works. And that while it's more active in your youth, that thing That mechanism continues functioning in your whole life. Very interesting because there's a thing called hyperopic defocus, also worth a Google search. That's the thing that causes the eyeball to elongate when you wear glasses. And the really short version of how that works is you put on minus glasses that are meant for distance while you're in close-up. The light focuses too far back in your eye. And that tells your eye, it makes your eye think it's too short. So it elongates. So this whole lens-induced myopia thing is there's no illness or muscle weakness or whatever people think it is. It's actually the eyeball responding to that minus lens moving the light. So it just elongates to respond to that.
0: And is that 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 something, Jake? Sorry sorry to interrupt. Just a quick one. Is is that something that uh, is responsive and reactive throughout your whole life? Or is that mostly happening when you're in your developmental years? Until you die. And okay. this also, this is because
1: this is a debating point that I run into with people sometimes, especially like in the optometry industry. So I actually posted some studies on the website that that clearly show this happening in human eyeballs. Because these studies have been done on every kind of animal because scientists have been fascinated by this function of the eye. So they have found this to be true on fish and birds and monkeys and pigs and also in humans. So, and the fascinating part of this is you can measure the length of the eyeball change in as little as 60 minutes,
0: any age. Wow. Mm. So it's, it's almost it's as, as opposed to kind of cell turnover throughout your body where uh, you're literally, you know, dividing and, you know, autophagy is replacing dead cells. This isn't about replacing structures. This is about the structure of the eyeball actually shifting the, the muscular structure change in shape in response to the incoming signal
1: yeah it's not it's not muscular but yes it's a it's a structural adjustment the eyeball elongates and shortens till the day you die this mechanism is always functioning of course as with age everything becomes less effective but it continues working always we have people in their 90s who have significantly improved their myopia with the same with the same technique so there's no we haven't found any age limits. And I haven't found any cited studies that have shown that this stops working at any time.
0: So let's talk more about how I I or you take control of that, uh, the length of the the eyeball itself, which is in turn being uh, is responding, reversing, adjusting to the incoming signal, whether you're wearing glasses plus minus or just out in nature, what's what's driving that change? What can we do to drive that change?
1: Yeah, that is that is definitely the next question. Um, when I found this, I was completely fascinated because not only did it obviously explain why my myopia kept getting worse, right? Like my eye would respond to the minus glasses, my eye would appear worse because it elongated, mm-hmm. even though it was just doing its job. And then I get stronger glasses, and I, my eye would elongate again. Mm-hmm. And my theory, and this is where the word claims becomes accurate, because everything before here is is claimed by tens of thousands of pieces of clinical science. The claim part starts with me saying you can use the same stimulus that caused your eyes to get longer to also get shorter. And people get upset at me, especially in the ophthalmology field, that this is possible. And what I started with, and I was very misguided because I had no basis, I just found this. I started wearing weaker glasses, which worked. But the detail of how I went about it was not very efficient. But basically the super, super, super short answer to this whole thing is you start wearing quote unquote weaker glasses, forcing up or encouraging your eye through the opposite kind of stimulus to get shorter.
0: People say though, Jake, that you know, when when you have bad eyesight, well, I recall when I was a kid actually you know straining through bad eyesight causes headaches and you, you, you don't feel well and it's a struggle life's a struggle when you can't see clearly um to deliberately worsen your eyesight when you have an opportunity to make it better in the in the immediate with a pair of you know appropriately prescribed glasses is that not offer did that not create some short-term angst and struggle for you
1: yes and again you're hitting all the right questions it was a terrible idea. The, the I since I always encourage people don't just stop wearing your glasses like the internet baitsmith that I exercise people tell you, definitely don't start changing your glasses. If you're excited about this, don't do what I did. I had minus five, I bought a pair of minus three glasses, while I was full time traveling. And it was a terrible idea. It was a terrible, terrible idea. The, the, the real answer is in how much? It's like, Working out, is it good for you or bad for you, right? Like if you're trying to run a marathon tomorrow, probably not great for you. And the same thing or a similar kind of idea uh, takes place with glasses where if you're minus five, then maybe you just want to take it down to a minus 4.75, for example, right? Like you want to change it to where instead of being able to see every line on that eye chart to just see enough of the eye chart to where you can comfortably recognize people outside, You can function and walk around and you're not living in a blurry world. But some of the finer details, like the words in the coffee shop over the barista's head, are a little bit blurry and require a little bit of challenge. So the the idea, and again, for the sake of us having this conversation, it's like we can't cover how do you get in shape in an hour conversation. I'm just kind of covering highlights. But the basic premise yeah. So the basic premise is you just, you want to introduce challenge, but the question is how much, right? Like you don't want to overdo it, but you don't also want to be in a place where there is no challenge. So your eyes have no reason to adopt to anything.
0: So you, you bought these minus free glasses. Um, you, you're reading up, you had a few ideas of kind of basically challenging your eyes to put in more work effectively. Um, when did you start seeing results? Yeah, <laughs> seemingly
1: not ever. It was a terrible time. Okay, I actually I remember because I had I had a stop in Bangkok. I went to the optometrist because I couldn't read the taxi signs. The optometrist said, do you need minus five? I said, hell no. Uh, I started reading. And there, I had a couple more trips. And then I went to Laos with minus three glasses. And it was just, I bought them. I went to Laos, which at the time was just, there was nothing there. And I arrived on a bus in the evening in a little town and that was the moment I realized I made a huge mistake, because I threw away the minus four point something glasses. <laughs> yes. I only had the minus three. I just, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't read anything. Hotel signs. I couldn't tell like what could be a motorbike taxi or. Ta- I mean, it was it was a terrible idea. And who knows why I didn't give up? I really don't know. I kept wearing those minus three glasses stubbornly. And it took at least a year till I remember one day specifically I was in a subway and I could read the some warning on the opposite end from where I was sitting very close I mean it's just right like the the width of a subway mm-hmm. train and that was kind of a revelation where I was like wow this this is doing something um, but throughout that time I was just somehow in a in a really stubborn mood and I just wouldn't go back to the higher glasses.
0: So, past that, uh, yeah, that stubborn, perhaps not ideal approach, you saw some benefit. Now, kind of fast forward to when you started working this out and you had a bit more of a system. I, I just want to get a sense of how you objectively knew your eyesight was getting better. Well, it was, it, there were
1: moments where I could just function, right? Like, there, there, increasing moments where I could get away with the minus three where I couldn't before. Um, It was enough to where I just could get around. I didn't want to go back. It's just still to this day, just thinking of those, those minus four point, whatever they were glasses, just, I would never put those back on. I just, I just wouldn't. And there were enough moments to where I could function that it was close enough that I could that I wasn't incapacitated from my travels. I said, whatever. And I had lots of other things going on. This wasn't like my main pursuit, mm-hmm. but it had become something in the rotation of stuff I was trying to accomplish somehow. But it became kind of a background thing. And I remember that one day I was in the subway and I know I could never see the, right? Like you sit on on the opposite side of the door and over the door there's like the, the train schedule and warnings and this and that. And I'd always have to get up and stand right in front of the door to read those. And I could read those from my seat. And I remember going, okay, I could never do this before. And I tried the next day, I could still do it. And the next day I could still do it. And I'm like, okay, this is definitely doing something. This, I think, is a very good indication that I was the wrong guy to start this because it was very unscientific. It was very much born out of vanity and stubbornness. But somehow I ended up at a point where the minus three was working for me. And that's when I started to go, okay, so... If the minus three works now, then what happens if I go just a little bit lower this time? And it was a ton of guesswork. And if you fast forward a little bit, when I got to, I want to say like minus 2.5 and was functioning well with those, I was excited about it. I was talking to friends about it. And I got some other people involved in this experiment, even though at that time I was saying, let's just go a little bit lower. And most of what exists today, and n is a huge resource today with just hundreds of thousands of people's experiences. What it is today is mostly collective experiences as opposed to my own Mm. poor approach. So over the years, this is like a, a rock in the river that just gets smooth because the water passes over it over long enough time. It's enough people have tried enough things and the circle kept growing and I kept getting feedback. Hey, I tried this and here's what happened. And then I would share that feedback with other people in the group who would then try it. So we slowly increasingly found a path that is a million times more effective than what I did back then
0: and how many times were you revisiting the optometrist to you know get a, an official eye test to get a sense of what your current prescription should be
1: okay and that's also a great question and another one why well, I was definitely the wrong person to start this whole thing I went to the optometrist being incredibly excited after that minus three experience. And I still get angry to this day, just thinking about this. The reception was more than negative. I mean, I, I must've seen five different people and they're all said, you're wrong. This is impossible. You're, you're being irresponsible. You need to wear full whatever we give you and you don't know this and we do and shut up. I mean, it was a really, really negative experience. And so I didn't go back to an optometrist after that for years. I just, I didn't want to hear what those guys were saying because clearly that whatever they were telling me first, they would argue with me about myopia causes from like, okay, this is in the books, how are we arguing about this? And then they would tell me that I'm wrong and that I'm not qualified. And that just, I didn't go back for a very long time.
0: But you have had your eyes tested officially during, during yeah, the absolutely. course since then?
1: Um, not until I reached maybe minus two. I remember having been in Cambodia at the time and I found an optometrist who was just giving me whatever I wanted for glasses. And we ended up hanging out because he was cutting his own lenses and I was interested in how he was doing that. And he measured my eyesight. And at the time I was still working through the last couple of diopters, but he measured me to what he would quote unquote prescribe. And I was in the two diopter range. So oh, but it incredible. took it took it took years for me to go back there because that was I remember that guy because he was a super nice guy and he was really open-minded and we had lots of conversations Th- that was kind of my turning point because now like in our Facebook group and in our forum we have supportive optometrists who who like this and who help people who ask for it it's a tricky topic because optometry boards do not like this being discussed but We've met lots of supportive optometrists, but again, this is kind of, there's a lot of people. So, so every once in a while we get lucky and we find somebody who says, yeah, obviously this is how it works.
0: Yeah. It's somewhat cannibalistic to uh, the industry they work in. Just like yeah, many things in the food industry, it's cannibalistic to talk about, um, having primal diets because you can't really sell those or money, you know, um, market those with high profits. So so you, you got yourself to minus two and at some point, as you say, towards the back end of your kind of process, you got tighter with it, but it took a longer time. We're going to talk about some of those kind of process steps you, you've you now learned and kind of efficiently can describe. But 2020 vision, that's currently where you're at. So if you went to the opticians now and and without any context, they just put you onto their little machines and done done the, done the test, you'd come up as pretty much perfect vision.
1: Well, it's, uh, I'm going to preface this because it depends on where you get an eye exam and how you get an eye exam. If it's a dark room and a, a projected chart with just a little bit of light, I'm around 20, 2020 um, If it's a lit room, like a properly daylight level of room in a printed chart, I'm
0: more around twenty fifteen. And is that is there your a big difference varies. between that? I'm not quite sure what the the scale is. Is that, is yeah, that
1: close? Yeah, yeah, I, that's a that's a pretty significant difference. Okay, that's the next line down, but it is a lot smaller than 2020. Like the difference between 2020 and 2015 is quite significant. But your eyesight varies a lot based on ambient light. So if you're if you're doing the same test in a dark room, it comes out very much different then if you test in a light room and what kind of light, all those things very much affect your, your eyesight. So there's a variable, but worst case scenario, I'm at twenty twenty
0: 20 Wow, wow. All right, well, thank you for sharing that, Jake. So at some point during your own, you know, this kind of, this little side project you had whilst, you know, traveling, I'd love to understand why you were traveling and that kind of business and stuff. But at some point, this this little project, this little thing on the side, I guess has become... A bit more of a dominant part of your life. When when did you when did you think actually there's something here and I need to devote more of my time and attention resource to spreading the word and engaging with people?
1: Well, the it, it grew, it's a very much been an organic process. And I was laughing earlier. First, your intro the iGuru thing because I am the furthest removed from that kind of person. <laughs> like I look at charts and spreadsheets most of the time, and I, my my tolerance for nonsense is generally very low. And I'm kind of, I used to be incredibly mainstream about most things. And it's only when there's a lot of rigorous scientific evidence that I'm willing to look at other stuff. And yet I find myself in this space that is just a complete mess, right? I mean, this just sounds like crazy talk. So it's its an odd thing. Being in this thing is, is really become organically so because first it was two or three people who were doing it and having experiences. And then it was a few dozen and then it was a few hundred and it just continued expanding where I was just kind of the central node of the conversation, right? Like somebody would like the librarian, you know, somebody would find something, bring it to me. I would share it with other people. And if they validated that it worked for them, I would share it with more people. And I was just kind of the, that person, but not really, it's not, I still think it's a terrible idea. Like I don't like, We're having this conversation because you're in a space where the people that you talk to are interested more in their well-being than just believing whatever they're being told. I'm okay with that. Like in the bigger sense, I don't want to be a mainstream figure talking about this because it just sounds too crazy, right? I mean, it... I'd like to stay a little bit under the radar, but it's grown to this point just because there's always another person, right? And then it got to the point where, okay, like if we had this online, then it would be there and then people can use it. But then it became a thing of, okay, we also need a community. And then optometrists would get super angry at me. I've been legally pursued and all kinds of interesting things have happened. And all that has caused is make me that much more invested in it because I would have dropped this so many years ago for so many reasons, you know, but then somebody from the industry comes and threatens me. And I'm like, okay,
0: <laughs> bring <the laughs> like fight. that. Right.
1: And I'm like, okay, so we can have that round. And now my motivation is back for the next year because you know, like I'm, that's, I feel strongly about it. And then I continue. And now, now it becomes a thing most recently is where I get so much email from parents whose kids are being quote unquote diagnosed with this. And I have a five-year-old so I know that feeling and I really am not okay with these people who sell lenses telling parents, hey, your five-year-old needs glasses. Right? Like it's That becomes one of those things where I'm like, okay, I have a five-year-old. I'm not okay with this. So the the growth of this is entirely not me wanting to grow it, but it just continues. The thing continues pushing me forward in it.
0: Is this your kind of central gig right now? Like, Is this where you spend most of your time?
1: No, absolutely not. I'm trying to limit it to two hours a day. That's my goal. Okay. It gets closer into like three or four some days, but two hours is, is really my goal. And I'm just, I, I feel that eventually this will become its own thing. I don't, I don't, because so much other, if we look at so many other topics that are being explored, that weren't being explored five or 10 years ago, I think eventually eyesight will get on that radar. And then it's not going to be so much on, on me to do this. But for the time being, it's just, you know, the email comes to me and I answer it and questions come and I answer them. And that's just been the, the thing.
0: It's, it's so fascinating because there it's net. What am I trying to say? There are, there are many things that are not popular that go against the grain that go against the status quo that require individuals, leaders, to stand up and offer a different perspective um, that may not be completely grounded in, you know, unequivocal current science because the science hasn't supported it. There hasn't been the funding. Um, you know, I think back, I think to some of the conversations I have with people that are pro- proponents of the carnivore diet. And whilst I'm not, you know, following that diet, um, it has definitely changed my perspective on diet. When you start having a conversation about the value of animal based nutrition, And there's a guy called Sean Baker, who two years ago got on Joe Rogan's podcast and was, you know, just, just stones thrown at him for being a whack job, like, you know, this weirdo's just eating meat, like, he's going to die, he's going to drop dead in a few weeks. You know, I've
1: I've actually been on, I've been on Sean's podcast, we've chatted.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, I mean, I've I've got nothing but respect for him. He's been on my podcast, too. And he's, I, I think he's doing great work. He's standing up for... You know, he's pushing against the propaganda. What you're doing is pushing against the, you know, propaganda, albeit less, less aggressive, less um, disciplinarian. Uh, but you're pushing against the, the dogma of eyesight correction uh, through lenses. He's p- f- pursuing the same fight against veganism and plant-based nutrition. But it's unpopular. He's gonna, he's gonna get pursued. He's gonna be called a whack job. He's gonna be put out in a corner and. And then at some point there's there's a critical mass. More people have anecdotal experience and start to support that idea. And it's a blossoming idea of nutrition. As I look through what you're doing, I feel like it's probably a similar thing. You know, I I I've got two kids. My kids are uh, nine and six, first day back at school today. And as I look through the school, there's not many, but there are some kids who've got bottle-top glasses at that age. You know, literally, as you say, like um Uh, magnified eyes because you know they're wearing pretty strong prescriptions at a young age and these kids kids are playing you know playing their phones and their ipads and on their computers all day and all night i know they are and i can't help but to think that it's their environment and their habits that are causing this because their parents aren't wearing glasses and i think we we do need to acknowledge whether it's something we're doing to ourselves but it's so dogmatically in entrained in how we think about eyesight, that it's completely out of our control. And that's why I love this conversation is that you're suggesting that actually, no, some of this is within our control. Before we get into and I, I know you you kind of <laughs> uh you you take the Mickey out people wanting the steps, but uh, before before I I I poke and prod to see if there are some kind of general tips, let's just quickly give a moment to this um farsightedness. So this uh, needing reading glasses thing, which I think most people get as they get older. Let's just put that in a box and understand that for a second. Is that is there any part of that um, degenerative condition as you age? That is something that people can take control of? Or do we have to put that to one side and say, actually, it's just it's just a thing of aging?
1: It's it's a thing of aging. And it's an entirely different topic. Um, I get confronted with it relatively often just because of the size of myopia, but it's a totally different thing. It's age-related, hardening a lens, not my focus. It seems diet can affect it, and it seems how much you use corrective lenses can affect your dependence on those lenses, but it's really
0: not my my core topic. Because at some point, I, you're, you're going to get confronted with that, perhaps, as an individual. No, I,
1: nah, okay, if we're talking... Okay, now... I'm trying to stick to only things that, that I know well. Um, I will never need reading glasses. This is strictly anecdotal. I'm 50. Every, all, everybody who sells reading glasses says by 50, you're all in your 40s, you need reading glasses. It's never going to happen because I know for myself, and I'm not. this is not advice. Unlike the myopia stuff where I will, would definitely give advice, I know that if I encounter any blur at close distances, that I need to challenge that blur. And I will ne- I I am hundred I'll take any bet that I'm never going to need reading glasses. Also, highly anecdotally, anyone, I've never met anyone who's improved the eyesight by multiple doctors over all these years who's ever come to me and said, I need reading glasses. That's completely anecdotal. There's no, this is not a scientific thing. It's just I've literally, in close to 20 years, never heard never had anybody come to me and said, Hey Jake, by the way, you know, I've gotten older, I need reading glasses now just literally now. So this falls into not the topic where I feel confident. This could be, you know, conspiracy theories. This is just my own personal conviction is my eyes are going to be fine as far as reading glasses are concerned. But it could happen. The lens hardens with age is absolutely a fact. People maybe need reading glasses. I don't know. Can I throw in one thing, though, because you were talking about kids and iPads before? The the very common rate of the vision the the doctors increasing is one per year so any parent who's listening to this stuff whose kid is already wearing glasses and wearing those glasses while using screens one doctor a year of increasing myopia is in your kid's future
0: that that basically was my my past you know from nine need first needing glasses i can't recall what i got first prescribed at, but it was probably you know minus 2 or something uh, very quickly, it was just like your your story, like, right? It just went from minus two to minus five in like a couple of years. I'm like, what what, what is going on? To the point that you hmm. know I, I couldn't play football. You know, playing football was a risk, <laughs> and you know I I got into playing squash, and squash was a bloody nightmare. A tiny ball hurtling at you. Uh, (laughs) and not a lot of time to respond. And, you know, I've got this blurry vision. I had to wear glasses, but they would steam up or they'd fall off my nose because of the sweat. I'm like, come, there's got to be a better way. (laughs) And I wasn't going to put these strap-on prescriptions on. The terrible thing, I played water
1: polo. I actually very much loved as my eyesight was worsening. And if you're familiar with water polo, yellow ball, you have to catch it with one hand while you're treading water, right? The water's deep, you you can't stand. And there's two teams that are trying to murder each other while trying to hit goals. Mm-hmm. Love that sport. The problem is, as my vision vision was getting worse, that ball just started becoming more and more of just a yellow glowing orb, right? <laughs> like it wasn't a defined ball anymore. And I actually taught myself to aim my hand, because you can only catch the ball with one hand, to the center of the glow. It was, it was terrible. Work. And I just... Right. And I'm like, okay. And, and with the years that, that orb just got bigger and it got to the point where like gauging the center of it just wasn't feasible while treading water, while being pushed underwater, all that stuff. And I mean, that's really sad because I really enjoyed water polo and losing that was, was a huge bummer.
0: So, okay, so we've spoken about a bunch of stuff, and and hopefully it's whetted people's appetite, Jake. That actually, hey, you know what? I've never heard of this thing before. Maybe I need to go look at it. We're gonna we're gonna speak in a moment about where to start in your in your pool of fantastic resources. But before we close on that, can we can we give your you know latest and greatest concepts? Not necessarily you know to the to the you know step guide, but your concepts that people need to start thinking about to start taking control? If they're minus two, three, four, five, six, how do they start thinking about taking control of their eyesight and potentially improving it?
1: Okay, so the what I've found, and again, this is over the years and a lot of people's experiences, what i found, the barrier of entry is that this all sounds interesting, but very theoretical. Right? Like you listen to this and you're like, oh, that's fascinating. And it's like a, a clickbait title that you click on and you read the article and then you move on to the next thing. So, if you genuinely don't love the glasses, first of all, realize there's no eye exercises, there's no complicating your life. It's simple habit changes. Like now, I tell people you can improve your eyesight by a quarter diopter to to every three to four months. That's about just under a diopter a year every year without much extra work. So getting from here to 2020 is no mystery. Over 90% of people were, who have attempted this in our structured program have succeeded. The the success rates are about the same. Just as your vision worsens by about one doctor a year, especially during the formative years, you can reverse it at about a similar rate. So it's it's actually super super easy if you invest the time to understand how it works. The first step, what i found is what gets you in that mode is measuring your eyesight because it makes this not so, because right now it's a theoretical conversation. It just sounds overwhelming and fascinating, but overwhelming. But if you actually start measuring, it boils it down to a much simpler and more tangible thing. And the way it works is diopters or the strength of your glasses are just a fancy way to measure how far you can see before there's blur. So when you go to the optometrist and they pull out all the fancy machines and do all their stuff, the only one thing they're measuring really is how far can you see before there's blur. That's all there is to myopia. Mm -hmm. And you can measure that at home. Uh, On the website, I have a a printable ruler that I made for people who don't have some kind of measuring tape at home. You can use anything that has centimeters or inches on it um, to measure how far can you see before things get blurry. And you can calculate that distance. You can convert it directly into diopters. How, so how, that number, what, what,
0: what is the kind of average distance for people that do have minus vision? I know it depends on how bad their their eyes are, but we're we're not talking, you know, tens of meters. We're talking within within the meter range for for small objects. So what kind um, of
1: less less? I and mean, when we're talking anywhere from twenty centimeters to 50, 60 centimeters. Okay. That, that's about the range for most people. There's a calculator on the site where you can directly, it's very simple calculation just to change diopters into centimeters. So you, you, you're sitting in front of a screen or a book and you hold it close enough to where everything is super sharp and then you move it slowly further away until the text changes at all in any way. It gets like little gray fuzzy edges or whatever it may be, little change in clarity, you measure that distance. That's your degree of myopia. And what makes this interesting is that self-experiment part, because the next part is compare that measurement in outdoor or just natural daylight to crappy indoor lighting, for example. And you're going to notice a pretty noticeable degree of change, right? So you're going to be like, okay, so if I am outside, I only need minus three glasses. But if I'm inside in fluorescent, I need minus 3.5 glasses according to the measured distance. And this like level of, of self-experimenting will get you curious enough because the next step is how can I change this? Mm-hmm. But you don't get to the point of, I want to make a change till you prove to yourself that there's something to this, right? Like you eat a crappy meal, you get an insulin spike and then you measure again and your vision is worse. You go, wow, diet affects my side. Or you spend four hours binging on Netflix and then you measure your distance and it's worse. And then you see that that close-up, that binge-watching, affected your eyesight. And as you do that more and more often, you start putting your vision in context of your life and your habits. And that's kind of the first step to, to actually reducing your myopia.
0: Okay, so we've got a calculator, so an objective way to say this is where I am today in both you know, crappy indoor light, good outdoor light. So we've got a sense of our current status. You then talk about something about about reducing close up. Can you can you explain what that means? Well, what
1: I'm, I'm can you clarify?
0: So you okay? Maybe I haven't got the the term in right, but I, I got a sense from looking through your material that there's an idea of reducing you know close up, just generally looking at things close. Maybe is that the idea? Oh, that- okay. I see what you're saying. So measuring is the first step. Um, One of the things that I I like to repeat a lot
1: is you want to, you want to, oh, sorry. You want to quantify this stuff. You want to have tangible data. You don't want to go on. Oh, it seems better today. I love data, right? Like centimeters are just great data because it's, it's not subjective, right? Mm -hmm. As a starting point, a bit further in, I strongly recommend that nobody run out today and buy different glasses. It's really important to learn this stuff first, know what you're doing before you take any action. But one of the first steps in, in addressing the current progressive problem is not wearing so much correction while you're looking at a screen. Because for example, if you have minus five glasses, those are made for distance vision, right? They only make one change. They don't, address different focal planes like your natural eyes do. They just make one change for everything. That change is not appropriate for close up. So when you need minus five for distance, you might only need minus 3.5 for close up, approximately a diopter and a half less, which is a pretty significant lesser amount that you need to see your screen clearly. And doesn't have one with of the early lenses
0: step, though, does it?
1: Um you can just wear reading glasses over them. They're plus so reading glasses are plus lenses. So if you wear like a plus 1.5 reading glass wow. over your contact lenses, the net result is a 1.5 diopter reduction. Oh,
0: okay.
1: So you could, it's not a super great idea, but you could definitely do that. But that's the first step because the hyperopic defocus that we talked about earlier, the stimulus that causes your eyeball to grow longer, is primarily happening when you're you're up close and you're wearing too many diopters for that distance. So that's that's like when the children's eyes get worse, when you said they're wearing Coke bottle glasses and they're looking at an iPad, I cringe because that is hyperopic to focus. That is what's causing that one diopter a year of the eyes getting worse. If the parents just gave the kids glasses that are about about 1.5 diopters lower, that, that, that stimulus that you don't want would be greatly reduced. And interestingly enough, there's products on the market already that are doing this. And if you read the fine print in the literature, like there's contact lenses, very expensive, that are trying to reduce that hyperopic defocus, but they're doing it in a way that's complicated because that's patented, right? You can patent a thing and you can sell it for a lot of money, but you can have the same exact effect just by having less strong glasses for close.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and regard, in regard, in regarding using, using things close, so electronic screens whether it be phones iPads watching TV on your computer working for you know 10 plus hours a day uh, is has that does that have an effect and should you be trying to interact with those devices in a different way um first of all while we were talking about doctors i just want to point out here that
1: Depending on your jurisdiction, this may not be something you're allowed to do. And I'm certainly not giving medical advice because this is not a medical condition. And wherever I'm not allowed to talk about this, don't listen to me. (laughs) I'm just saying this because that's been thrown at me a number of times in the past, and I've argued it successfully in our favor. But still, you have to be, if you're undertaking this adventure, you have to realize that There's a hundred billion dollar industry that exists because this conversation is not happening and because people don't have a choice to make their own choices. So if you're living in this early time where this is not a conversation, if you do want to affect your own eyesight, you have to do it wisely and carefully, Mm -hmm. right? I'm just saying this because there's a lot of different places like, you know, in India, you can buy whatever glasses you want. In China, pretty much you can buy whatever glass you want. In, In the UK, for example, they're pretty strict about it. Right. So you can buy online and this is all going to go away soon because the online lens buying business is going to explode. And with it, this whole prescription thing is going to die. But today it still exists. So today you still you want to be polite and respectful of the optometrist. Whoever doesn't want to work with you, understand that they have optometry boards that tell them what to do. You know, be nice and know what you're doing. Just I I just want to throw that out there because sometimes people get excited and they get ahead of themselves a little bit
0: yeah I, I agree and plus you know glasses can be expensive right if if you've got this uh notion of buying multiple glasses of varying uh, degrees of strength and you expect to wear them outdoors and not 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 like as if you're wearing like specs you know cheap pound you know pound glasses you are gonna you need to invest some money right so um one well, that's a funny
1: it. topic too because glasses are a pound thing um they are and there's a there was an article in the la times very recently, I want to say last month, um, that was an expose on a, um, an executive who used to work for lens crafters who in the U S is one of the largest optical chains. It's massive. And he, he talked about how much profit they're making. And he, this whole $1.50 or whatever, one pound 50 wholesale cost of lenses is, is fact. So when we're talking about expensive glasses, they're only expensive because of the retail markup
0: and, and the frame online. as well, right? I mean, if you if you're buying a, a classy flame, a frame from a specific brand that you like and it fits your aesthetic, you know the way you want to present yourself externally, um, whilst they might be cheap to make, they're not cheap to buy, right? And that's where buying online
1: becomes a it becomes a topic. You know, it's it's definitely. I'm not a big fan of this. And I always say if you find a, a supportive local optometrist, it's a better option because they have great measuring tools. They being able to try on frames, all that stuff, if the prices are reasonable, then it may make sense. But you know, five whenever somebody says five hundred dollar pair of glasses, that's crazy. You can't rip off. <laughs> no, and actually I was in Germany a little while back again, and there still is for example, there's a chain called Filmon in Germany, and you can walk out of there with a hundred euro pair of glasses easily, 60, 70, somewhere in that range. And they're still making plenty of money because remember, it's one pound 50 easily is the wholesale cost of most single vision lenses. And the other thing Filmon does is if you buy, if you bring your own lenses that are not cut yet, that are just big round circles that I used to buy on eBay, um, they will cut them into the frames for you, either for free or maybe it was like seven euros or so, um, into the frames of your choice if you buy the frames there. Okay. And yeah, so there that you don't have to pay retail for lenses and they're at a huge markup. So if that's a concern for people, you can definitely around that. Uh, it just requires a little bit of research.
0: Okay. So... So, Jake, getting back to this idea of, um, you know, close-up work, so laptops, iPhones, oh, yeah. right. iPads, TVs. Um, I guess environmental, from an environment perspective, you know, the things that we do to ourselves day in, day out for many, many hours is probably part of the problem. How do you, in in someone who's trying to to correct their vision, what's your guidance on engaging with those devices? Because you know, people still got to work, people still want to entertain themselves. Like, how do how do they responsibly engage
1: sure and that's that's another really good question and uh, it can turn into a big topic because i have to avoid turning myself into a zealot going on about screens because i think screens are a huge problem in our life way beyond myopia. Uh i just made a video the other day talking about how we literally are forgetting to get bored mm-hmm. like we're getting 100%. to this level where boredom yeah, it's no longer a function in our in our life. And it's really destructive because boredom is required for creativity. You know, like boredom is, is so important. And I'm fascinated that I ha- end up having these, these conversations that seem so simple and logical to somebody like you and me. Like we've been bored plenty, right? Before nowadays. But people, kids are growing up now not being familiar with this notion as long as they have a smartphone. And I think that's terrible, right? But I'm trying to separate myself from becoming too involved in that because the reality is I use screens quite a bit and I'm online quite a bit. And I would say the majority of participants in the whole end thing have jobs that involve all day in front of screen. So you can absolutely get this general improvement rate of about close to adopt a year while living your modern life Although I generally say you need to have a good three hours a day of proper distance vision time, which three hours. also sounds silly. Well, yeah, it, it sounds silly because <laughs> you're like, yeah, I mean, duh, but people don't get three hours of distance vision. No, and no, there's I'm, people I'm like,
0: thinking oh. that sounds like a lot of time to not be in front of the <laughs> screen these days. It's like, whoa, how am I going to do that? <laughs> and
1: that that's where that's where we run into the reality check yeah. of, okay, if you're not finding three hours of distance vision, your life has a much bigger problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. where is your life? Like in what what part of the day does your life happen, right? Because you're sitting on front of, in front of the screen to make money. Fair enough, like feed your kids, feed your family, things that you have to do, okay, fine. And then you wanna relax and unwind, watch some show for an hour or two, okay, that's fine. But there's still a lot of hours left And in some of those hours, your life has to happen, like playing with your kids, having some hobby, being engaged in some sport, like when you're old and you look back, like, is it all going to be a Facebook scroll? You know, like I'm really not being facetious when, when I say three hours and I see shock in people's eyes, I'm like, the bigger question is what's happening to your life? Like, is this screen addiction consuming your limited time on this earth?
0: and i agree this kind of conversation can 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 take us down rabbit holes but a quick respo- a quick response <laughs> to that.
1: that's a is, hard left from myopia that's definitely not it, my topic it is it is know? but it
0: it does make complete sense cuz the boredom thing i i get it you know my kids like, the moment you know their screen curfew activates cuz we've got that on their iPhones or the moment you know a show stops or the thing they've done stops I'm bored, like immediately, and you know what? I'm not just I'm not just judging my kids. I do the same thing in between, you know, eating that last mouthful and grabbing five minutes. I will, without realizing, pull my phone out and I'll try and be mindful of, you know, trying to stop myself. But it it's dopamine release. It's 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 instinctive. You have to really fight against that nature to want to be immediately entertained and seek reward. But just pulling that aside for a second, three hours of Uh, You said distance vision. What is distance vision? Like, if I'm not looking at my screen, is that is and I'm in my house and I'm just like just walking around my house. Is that distance vision, or do I have to be outside looking really far?
1: No, it's just no screens. It's just it's just where you're where you're engaging with your visual environment in a way that the focal plane naturally changes. You're not staring at one fixed distance close up for extended periods. Can be anything, and and I really I feel like, and I and this again, I, I I try to just stick with myopia, but it's really difficult when I keep running into the because people are like, okay, I need to improve my sight, but but I can't get three hours. I'm like, okay, so that falls into not my expertise, but doesn't that sound like it's a problem? Like mm-hmm. right? Like if we take out sleep and work and everything else, like you you don't have you're not enjoying your life actively without just passively consuming a thing right? Like there has to be something. And to be fair, I've run into this issue, obviously, because I'm not a saint. But uh, what I often tell people is make it a project to find something that is more tempting than your screen. Like I mentioned kite surfing. And the reason I got into kite surfing non-glamorously is my forever ongoing search to find things that are more interesting than a screen. And if I am, if I'm at the beach kite surfing, I get my three hours and I'm fine as long as I get three hours. I can get away with a lot of screen addiction, but any less than that, and you're really, you're really not going to have the best luck.
0: It is it is challenging because it's not just about um, distraction and wanting to not be bored. Um, there's you know a- everything close up is quote unquote more productive, right? You know whether it's <laughs> you know you're writing, you're brainstorming, you're reading, you're on your phone, you, you know you're doing work. The idea of work is that work is close up. That you're focusing in on something close to you. The idea of walking around or playing a sport or just engaging with nature and you know not having something in your hand is uh, okay. That's nice, but I've got shit to do. Right? I've got a list, <laughs> and I think that's yeah. probably part of the pr- part of the issue is, as you say, finding finding joy in not always being quote unquote productive in terms of to do list ticking. But, you know, enjoying the moment in whether it be a sport or, or some time with your family engaging. Again, I know this is off topic, but um, it's relevant. It's very relevant.
1: So you're going to be so you're so much more productive when when you spend less of your time more focused oh. on that close up task. It's okay. such a such. it's a thing people tell themselves, but I invest in a fair amount of businesses. So I deal a fair amount with the efficiency of people working. And what I've really found is if I get you to work for four hours a day and I pay you for eight, right? But I'm, I'm really just saying, it's not even, I, I've, I've, wor- I've been working on eliminating this idea of hours and more looking at results or outcome, mm-hmm. but people need a framework. So I'm like, okay, three to four hours is all I want from you, but I'll pay you for a whole day. We did this as an experiment years and years ago. And I found that the increase in productiveness is dramatic because you can't do anything for eight hours a day anyway. And this is, again, this is like a huge departure from where we are, but I think that that it's worth really investigating. And, and people also tell me sometimes what you said, like they feel guilty, right? Like I'm going out playing baseball or riding a horse or doing something else. I feel like I should be working, but giving yourself that opportunity and then looking at whether you're still being productive member of society, you might be surprised.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is a sharp left, but it's a relevant one, a conversation <laughs> we have quite <laughs> often, Jake, so um, I, I welcome it. Um, you speak about being outdoors, or, or no, you didn't, you spoke about um, distance vision. I know that you speak about being outdoors, and instinctively, and I'm, I'm a huge proponent of like an evolutionary framework or context in which to evaluate our lives? Like, is it consistent with our evolutionary preferences and the way we've lived for 99% of our lives? And if if it is, it's probably the thing that our bodies have been designed to do and embrace and thrive. This idea of being outdoors for a period of time makes perfect sense for a number of reasons. Why does it make sense for your vision? Okay, and again,
1: departures, because mostly what I'm try, I've am trying i been trying really to limit myself to is how to improve your eyesight, you know, just because that's all, I'm not trying to make people change their whole life. I'm not trying to use this as a platform for some kind of fix your screen addiction. But to some extent, the outdoor thing, I don't know. I mean, to, to be completely honest with you, all I know is that there's a certain amount of time that your ciliary muscle just needs to be relaxed. It can't be tense. When you're in close-up, that muscle is tense. We need to find any kind of excuse for the thing to be relaxed. Sleep doesn't do it, right? And just closing your eyes doesn't do it. Like okay. you apparently need to look at a distance for a certain amount. And the three hours is a ballpark. For some people, it's more, for some less, not really. But three hours, generally speaking, will do it. Like if you're not adding in every single detail, right? Like you're you're getting on the bus and you're you're, checking the schedule, but like actually three hours of concerted, I'm not looking at screens, I'm being somewhere. And the, the outdoor time is, I to be completely honest, just my personal, that seems to work the best, right? And, and I don't know, because people talk about lighting, for example, the fluorescent lighting, your vision is measurably worse than a natural daylight. And I can't find enough scientific evidence to point to the way I can point with myopia to say, you absolutely need the UV part of the light spectrum for your eyes to function properly. I can't say that there's studies for it, but there's not enough for me to be sold on this. If you ask me personally, do you think it's necessary? I would say for myself, it seems that way, right? But the the problem is, this is such a niche topic and it's so beyond even controversial at this point, that I want to stay as close to things that we can scientifically validate as possible so the thing doesn't get sunk by me making poor arguments.
0: Oh, I, I, so, really, I really appreciate that, Jake. It's um it's easy for you to have given us a really compelling reason why being outside makes sense. And you know, it's uh it's the molecules and it's this and it's that. And you know, you know, it's the air and you could have said a whole bunch of things. And I, I appreciate that you're you're kind of towing towing a you know a careful careful line here to not sound particularly wacky. But I I I think instinctively, (laughs) the idea of being outdoors for your eyes is probably productive just because it's unnatural environment. Um, You know, being indoors with artificial light staring close up at, you know, electronic light for many, many hours a day, just the absence of that is probably productive being outside is just the reverse. The last point, and I think it ties it ties to this idea of outdoor vision. It's funny. I was I walk the dog every every morning, and uh, I have, I'm blessed with living in a kind of rural, rural landscape. So we just walk around the fields, and um, you know quite often I, I I might just be staring at the floor without realizing, <laughs> or just staring where the dog is and stuff. But today I made a conscious effort to kind of lift my view up, and really look because I've got some great landscapes to look at to so really look far into the distance, and I. I tried this idea, albeit I have no knowledge of how to do it, this idea of active focus, which was for me, this idea of challenging uh, what I can see and trying to bring things into clarity, which otherwise I would have avoided or or just ignored in terms of whether it's hazy or clar- had clarity. And I was blinking and I was trying to bring things into focus and, and really force myself to look out into the distance and see what I can see. I don't know whether that is active focus, maybe you can describe it better. But just that very nature of engaging with distance and trying to see things that otherwise I just would have kind of put out as kind of a blurry backdrop was actually quite nice. It was quite enjoyable. So maybe you can kind of just underline what active focus is for us. By
1: uh, speaking of this, you, since we're in an age range where we experienced Commodore 64s, isn't Uh it odd that this is that we talk about that today we talk about this kind of thing. I mean, like when we were young, this was normal, right? Uh You would look at a distance anyway. Like we've become so like our, our visual environment has become so constrained by our lifestyle, I feel or our lifestyle contributes or our modern environment contributes this weird, very much changing reality that we live in. Apparently.
0: Um, yeah, so where was I active focus, just give us, uh, give us a, give us a description of what it is and how to how to do it. So
1: active focus is the ironically, the one semi intangible thing that that defines the only part that is a bit of a struggle with this whole thing because it's very difficult to explain. It's like wiggling your eyebrow or your ear. Like if you know how to do it, you know how to do it, but how do you explain how to do it? Right, like activating that muscle to move your eyebrow, it's really kind of an intangible thing. And once you know how to do it, you know how to do it, and you you understand. Unfortunately, active focus is similar in that respect. Now, functionally what happens is you see text. I, I like text because the way our brain interprets text, it uses recall. Like we don't read the in individual letters. We just recognize the word from memory. So it's easier to do with text where there's a little bit of blur in the text and you don't change your distance. You just look at it and you blink, not hard, just to kind of reset your focus. And you look at the text again and you see it changing in clarity just a little bit. It might not be perfectly clear, You might have to experiment with how much blur you start with and how clear it gets. But the idea being without changing your distance or anything else about the environment, the clarity of the text changes because you wanted it to. And your eye absolutely has that ability to improve its focus or to improve the way you perceive that slightly blurry text. And that's the the degree of challenge. It's just like, while this thing is blurry, without squinting at it or without Trying to deform your eyeball shape just by the fact that you blink at it and you look at it again and it clears up a little bit. That is the that is the degree of challenge. There's a lot of different ways to experience it. I like to start with close-up or you're looking at a screen because that's a, a consistent environment. The lighting's consistent, the distance is consistent, the text is consistent. It's it generally for people, it's the easiest way to find it. Uh, but they works at a distance too. So if you're wearing glasses that may be correct, you say to 2030, right, which is still very good eyesight, but not there will be some street signs and car license plates that are just a bit blurry, then you can kind of blink and stare at the thing. And if the text clears up, that's active focus.
0: Okay. And you know what, I think most of us do this without realizing, you know, like when you look yeah. away from a screen and look back at it, or if your eyes are getting tired, you know, you're working into the evening. And, you know, sometimes you just feel that need to take a long blink. And then, you know, you feel just like, you know, that camera lens bringing something into focus, you feel that transition into into sharpness. Um, but we don't do it deliberately. And we don't think about challenging ourselves to bring something to focus that isn't. So that's interesting. I like that.
1: And actually it's, it's normal to you. And it's normal to people who are not wearing glasses that, that are overcorrecting their vision. Like the people that get this and instinctively do it are the ones that have a natural range of eyesight or wearing glasses that are not excessively corrective. Like the people that hear this and have no idea what we're talking about are wearing, are wearing glasses that are so strong that they never encounter any slight blurriness. So they kind of have forgotten this instinctive attempt at clearing things up.
0: Hmm. I've loved this conversation, Jake, and and I've loved speaking to you. You're, a, you're an interesting guy. And, uh and, and I appreciate the balance you're trying to strike between giving us real information that people can act on without, you know, falling into the, the unfortunate box that you can fit quite neatly into, which has been a bit of a whack job guru. So I appreciate how you've navigated this conversation and given people some context and skepticism so they can explore this for themselves. So how do they go about doing that? So I know you've got a great website and YouTube channel. Talk to me, where do people start? Because it seems to be a lot of content you're pumping out on both those platforms. Is there a place to start? Is there two or three links, which is like, you know what, you go here, and you're going to get a good ground in and it will sequence you through increased levels of knowledge.
1: Yeah, uh, I would I would recommend every page of the website endomyopia.org is the website has a email link to a seven day little guide to get started. And for a little bit of context, this used to just be a free PDF download that you could do. And we found it to be frustratingly ineffective back when we had that. And eventually what we found is that there's just too much information, no matter how you try to narrow it down. So eventually we started to just kind of do a one day at a time thing. Seven days is still nothing. That's There's still way more to learn. But those seven days, what we talked about measuring, we go through the measuring, what we talked about the close-up glasses, it goes through that, we go through that. We talk about active focus. We talk about distance glasses. We talk about general habits. And it gives you about a week of a little bit of structure to get you into a place from where that website is less intimidating. Okay. And because there's a lot of stuff there and it's just because so many years and so many questions and I try to put everything out there that we learned works.
0: So that sounds like the best place to start. What about on on YouTube is there is there like a go-to video that we can link to after this to to give people good good grounding see see oh. your face, see you in your entertaining gig? Oh, my videos are t- a terrible travesty at this point. <laughs> no, they're not. They're good. I
1: like them. No, they <laughs> are terrible. They are. Okay. So the, the YouTube channel is also is in of is is, The link is also on the website. There is a getting started video that's on the main page of the YouTube channel um, where I attempt to kind of put a little bit of format into this. I do have to warn people genuinely. I'm not good at the YouTube thing. I don't script the videos. My face is a tragedy, and it's often rambling. The only reason we I do the YouTube videos because it's been requested so many times and I get so much feedback that people like them that I keep doing them. But again, it's, you know, use it your own. Brisk.
0: <laughs> okay. You've heard it here, guys. And no, actually I found them quite entertaining. I watched a couple last night and uh it was good. Yeah, you can you can you can chat about some random stuff as we did on this conversation, but it's enjoyable. Um should I link to the calculator as well? It sounds like that could be useful. Yeah, you can link to it. I also link to it in the email guide. Um
1: I like it because it just again, like the measuring gives you some context. It takes this whole thing out of the realm of theory and and emotion and gives you some, some solid starting points.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Any other places that people should be looking or is that it? the website and YouTube uh, with the email that should cover us?
1: It's a good, it's a starting point. Um, we also have a, a, a Facebook group that that is very active, but I recommend at least taking a week or two of just reading and learning basic stuff and trying things out before you join that. We also have a forum that's a whole different animal, um, where there's a lot of in-depth discussion, like there's a guy that bought the machine that measures the axial length of your eye, which is a very expensive piece of equipment that only ophthalmologists, some ophthalmologists have, and he's actually using it to measure his eyeball length as he's working on vision improvement, so the forum can get really nerdy, Uh, whereas the Facebook group is more just simple little chats. So the community is super helpful once you have some basic understanding, and you need people to interact with and remember that you're not crazy. Um, I, I like the community stuff as a second step.
0: Okay, cool. Jake, leave us with something something interesting to just give us a sense of maybe what what your life is about right now. So it sounds like this isn't your everything, right? It's a few hours a day. What? and it sounds like you've had quite an interesting life traveling around a lot and being semi retired investing in lens companies of all things but what does your life look like today what's what's kind of your purpose your drive what's kind of your point in direction your north star
1: one thing and i literally literally just thought of this as you asked this uh as the screen stuff has become more prevalent over the years i would have probably become very much more of a screen addict than I am because I've had this long-term habit of always saying, what else can I go do that involves distance vision? Because it really helped me improve my sight. Like I took up paragliding, for example, and I'm extremely fearful of heights. And back then, I even still thought that I was clumsy and it's a pretty dangerous sport. And I've traveled to Nepal, for example, and I lived there for months paragliding. Things that if you would have told me 20 years ago, I would have said, it'll never happen but i think what 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 has kept life interesting is this ongoing quest for things that are more interesting to do than look at screens mm-hmm. and in in a way this was only intended to keep my eyesight where it is but the unintended consequence has been that life stays much more interesting because i've always continued trying to manage the screen addiction and as a side effect life's way way more fun because i've been always searching for what else is going to be more fun than looking at the stupid Facebook.
0: I really, really like that. It's a great close and it's just, it's related. Um, and it's difficult. It is difficult for us in today's, uh, modern society to force ourselves away from something that should be so productive yet somehow is pulling away, f- um, valuable or value out of our life. So fantastic close to our conversation, Jake. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've learned a ton. I'm going to be doing a little bit more geeky reading after this and probably join that email newsletter too. So thank you so much for your time, Jake. Go back and enjoy your jungle life. <laughs> and um, I hope we can keep in touch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so
0: much for having me on. It's It's been a, a really fun conversation, actually. I appreciate it it's it's easy when you're speaking to fun people so appreciate it jake i'll speak to you soon man perfect if you enjoy this show please leave us a five-star review on itunes it really helps and of course recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show thanks for listening this is Nation.